Okay, uh, since tomorrow is Pentecost, I thought I would just do a, like a review of what the day is all about. You know, a lot of times when you have the actual service, you don't really hear a whole lot about what the, I guess some of the original meaning of the day is all about, but, but so I thought I would go through that today and talk about Pentecost. In Leviticus 23 and verse 4, tells us something that we're supposed to do. Leviticus, and, and I'm going to make up for Greg's few scriptures by turning to a lot of scriptures. <laughs> Leviticus 23 and verse 4 says, These are the feasts of the Lord. Now, whose feasts are they? That's right. Feast of the Jews. Now, just kidding. Even holy convocations, which you shall proclaim in their season. So, uh, we are to proclaim these days. We, it means, you know, to cry out, to publish. You know, I often thought what it would be like if these holy days were proclaimed like, let's say, Easter and Christmas and, you know, all the... Of course, you wouldn't want it to be commercialized or anything like that, but just imagine, you know, and I'm sure it will be like that in the kingdom of God, where that's what you're going to hear about, you know, every, on the radio, or if they have radio or television or whatever medium they might have in the kingdom. I'm not sure about that. Uh, but to proclaim these days during their seasons. And then we go on down and we go to verse 5, and it, it says in the 14th day of the first month, at even is the Lord's Passover. And then we drop down to verse 6, and it says, And on the 15th day, the same month, is the Feast of Unleavened Bread unto the Lord. Notice that, unto the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. Then we drop down to verse 10. It says, Speaking to the children of Israel and saying to them, When you uh, be come into the land which I will give unto you, and shall reap the harvest thereof, then you shall bring a sheaf of the firstfruits of your harvest unto the priests. And he shall weigh the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted for you. On the morrow after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. Now, Pentecost is referred to, it goes by several different names. It goes by, in the Old Testament, it goes by first fruits. It goes by feast of weeks, meaning seven weeks that lead up to the day that we're going to be celebrating tomorrow. Of course, in the New Testament, it's referred to as Pentecost, which is 50 or count 50. You know, you, you think about, okay, tomorrow after, on tomorrow after the Sabbath, seven Sabbaths shall be completed. That leads up to the day that we're going to be celebrating tomorrow. And there's another name for the Pentecost, though. It's found in Exodus 23 and verse 16. And I thought this is interesting. Another name for Pentecost. So it has a bunch of, bunch of names. First fruits, Feast of Weeks, Pentecost. Exodus 23 and verse 16. It says here, In the Feast of Harvest... The first fruits of thy labors, which you shall sow in your field, and, and the, the feast of ingathering, which is in the end of the year, when you, shall, when you have gathered in the labor out of your fields. So here we have, it's referred to as a feast of harvest, first fruits, that is. And also it's a reference to the feast of ingathering, which is the feast of tabernacles. So two of these, you know, a feast of harvest. Now think about that. What are we harvesting? Well... Back then, you know, there are two harvest feasts. You had the spring and the fall. Uh, the first harvest, first fruits, was wheat and barley. And then fruit is the larger autumn feast. But they're referred to as a feast of harvest. Now, for us, you have, it would be sort of like two, a feast of, um, 
two harvest resurrections. It might be the way that we would look at it. We had the first fruit harvest, and that harvesting, you know, is going on right now. I mean, God is calling a first fruit. There is a harvest of people that we need to be harvesting, that God is calling. It's more to it than just sitting back. You know, I have heard from people in the church that there's nothing that we can do. when it, You know, God has to call them. And that's true. God has to call a person. But there is something that we can do that I think actually enhances of who God can reach, you know. That, that, that it's not just an issue of just sitting back and saying, well, I can't do a thing unless God calls them, so I might as well just sit back and do nothing. But I've seen that attitude in the church of God very often. Okay, uh, two harvest resurrection, the first, the first fruit harvest. Now let's take a look at this one. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 20 talks about this first harvest. It says, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. So Jesus is referred to as the, as the, you know, the very real first fruits of them that slept. But skip on down to verse 23. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 23. But every man in his own order, Christ, the firstfruits, afterwards, they that are Christ, at his coming. So we're referred to also as a firstfruit, a firstfruit of God's creation. You know, you look at this verse, it's pretty simplistic. Christ, the firstfruits, afterwards, they that are Christ, at his coming. You wonder how anybody can miss that, you know, as far as resurrection. You know, you have all these concepts about heavenly retirement and all that. But, I mean, this, you know, this, okay, Christ at his coming. And it's talking about the resurrection from the dead. You wonder how people can miss that. Look at James 1 and verse 18. James 1 and verse 18. Talking about the subject of being a first fruits. Which really, I mean, you, you know, you think, that isn't, really, when you think about it, that's an honor, is it not? To be, I mean, to think about it, to be a first fruit. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. I want to say something, but let me not say it now. Uh, <laughs> James 1 and verse 18. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures, or creation, or whatever. You know, creation is not complete. You know, sometimes you read through the book of Genesis, and you think, okay, God did all this creating, and but creation is not complete. It's only just begun. God is creating children of God. I mean, this, this is fascinating. Creation goes on right now, is going on, and, and will continue to go on. I, I'm going to sort of step aside here and explain something, just throw this in here. A little bit off subject, but anyway. I, I think one of the reasons for Satan's rebellion was that he realized what God was doing through mankind. You know, the angels are basically what, what you call neuter beings. They don't, they're not given in marriage, Jesus said. They don't reproduce. Okay? Jesus said they're not given in marriage. So, so you have these, this being, Satan, who realized that God was creating children after his own kind. And he realized, well, I can't do that. And I think that was one of the motivations for the rebellion, that he took a third of the angels and rebelled against God because of what God was doing. I was thinking about what motivates homosexuality or just how that sort of maybe the motivating factor behind that because here are people who choose a lifestyle where they can't reproduce. Men with men, women with women, they can't reproduce. And you think, where did they get that from? What's the motivation? What's that coming from? 
And you sort of tie it into, you know, here's this being that was neuter. He can't, he can't reprodu reproduce himself. And so you almost have a spirit that is passed on. And you, I, I wonder about the motivating factor of that and how it ties in. But anyway, that's a little bit different subject. Okay, Revelation 14 and verse 4. Speaking again of the first fruits. Revelation 14 and verse 4. It says, These are they which were not defiled with women. They are virgins. They, and these are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goes. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. Now again, I, I ask, you know, really when you think about it, being a first fruit, if you believe that you are, you, you are one of the first fruits of God, that, that should humble us. It really should. It, it should, because I don't deserve to be, trust me, I don't deserve to be. I'm the last person that probably should be one of the first fruits. But you know, I have often seen, almost the, instead of humility in the church of God, the opposite, an arrogance, because I am one of the first fruits. It's, I've seen that attitude in the churches a lot, that it sort of goes the other way. Well, I know, you know, I know I'm one of the God's children. I'm going to be in the first resurrection. You've got all these other suckers out there that are dying in their sins. And, you know, it's just been a, from time to time I've noticed a bad attitude. You know, one of the ways you deal with it, you know, I said that I, I don't deserve to be one of the first fruits. The way you, you grasp it is that you have been redeemed. That's what makes it possible. You've been redeemed by God. God did not call you in spite of your weakness. He called you because of your weakness. There has to be something about you that needs redeeming. And I think sometimes the reason self-righteous people have a hard time with humility is because they don't realize they need to be redeemed. I mean, it's like I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all I possess. The guy didn't realize he needed to be redeemed. He's just listing off all the wonderful things that he does. Okay, first fruit. Okay, I said there are two harvests here we're talking about. We read earlier, you don't have to turn there, in Exodus 23, verse 16, it says the feast of harvest, the first fruit, and then the feast of end gathering. We're talking about two harvests here. Let's take a look at that second harvest, or I'm going to refer to it as second harvest resurrection. Revelation 20, and verse 5. Revelation 20 and verse 5. We've dealt with the, the first harvest, the first fruits that occurs at Christ's return, the resurrection of the, of the dead in Christ. But now here's another harvest that occurs, feast of end gathering, which would refer to the tabernacles, but specifically at the end of tabernacles, the last great day. As we go through that and then we come to the last great day, what that depicts, depicts a great harvest. Uh, Revelation 20, verse 5, But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Well, who's going to come up in this harvest? Answer, rest of the dead. <laughs> That's what your Bible says there. The rest of the dead. Now, I, I was thinking about this also. Mainstream Christianity. When you think about the rest of the dead, really when you think about it, there are no rest of the dead. I mean, there according to the concept. I mean, they're either, they're either, either in heaven right now or they're in hell burning for, for all eternity. So who are the rest of the dead according to their concepts? You know, I'm not, not for sure about that. And, but I'll just throw that in there. Now, what Pentecost, let's switch and talk a little bit about 
Pentecost as we find it. I mean, we know it's about receiving the Spirit of God, that you received at baptism, the Spirit of Christ. But what Pentecost is really about is a harvest. Go ye therefore into all the world. And we've been doing this study on making disciples and discipleship. And, and that's, it's, it's about a harvest that God is harvesting people right now. I, I believe that because of our knowledge of these two harvests, sometimes there's a lackadaisical frame of mind. It's like, well, God will get them in the second harvest. <laughs> I don't have to worry about that. <laughs> but it can be a relaxed attitude, you know. Because I don't, I mean, let's face it, of course, I couldn't do it if you held a gun to my head. But I couldn't do what Jehovah's Witnesses do. I couldn't go to door to door if you held a gun to me. I can't sell anything. I am not a salesman. You know, I respect someone like Ronnie because I, I, can't, I can't sell anything. You know, my idea, I would knock on the door and say, you don't want this, do you? I didn't, th- I didn't think so. Sorry to bother you. Let me get out of here. I crawl back, you know. Into the- but I, I don't know, but you have to sort of look at that and say, well, th- at least they believe that they need to get a message out, and they have the courage to knock on doors. I was talking to a friend of mine uh, that gives me encouragement. His name is Ron, and he said, he said, well, why don't you see if there's anybody in your church that would be willing to knock on doors? And I, thought, I was getting ready to tell him, it's not me. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I mean, I don't know, I guess. There's all types in the church, we have to realize. There's some people that could do that, you know, that can do that or could do that. It's just, I know it's not me. But, anyway, as I mentioned earlier, there's been an attitude I've seen in the church, unless God calls, calls there's nothing that you can do. And I think our doing something paves the way for God to call more people. The fact that we get out there and do something paves the way. It's like an enabler for God to maybe call more people. I want to share something here that, now this this was just off the YouTube videos. I don't know where this guy lives. I I just know that he's, I, I, I don't have an address. I just know that he watches these YouTube videos that I do. And he wrote me a little note, or sent me a message, a personal message. He talked about his little brother. He says his little brother overcame the temptation to commit the sin of fornication. He says he's in high school, and I'm sure you know that fornication is rampant in schools, in public school, and private also. I've been teaching my little brother, and I'm so happy that it is actually paying off. So he's been trying to help his little brother, who's in school, high school. I believe it's called the fruit of our labor. I wanted to thank you again for sharing your teachings of the Bible online. Otherwise, I don't think I would have believed in Christ, and I wouldn't have been able to teach my little brother. So thank you, David. So I was encouraged by that. Um, You know, it's like, you know, one hand washes the other. It's like the movie, uh, It's a Wonderful Life, uh, where... One life touches another. It comes on at Christmas time, you know. You know the movie? Jimmy Stewart, yeah, yeah. I like him. He really was a good actor. What we do creates the potential for God to call more people. And I have often thought, what if I had taught myself out of that? And I think I nearly did. The YouTube videos, when I was doing the program, you know, it started out as a 30-minute program. And I thought, why don't I just cut these up? 
into seven, you know, uh, seven three-minute messages and upload them to YouTube. And I thought, well, you know, how old I would be is just another religious nut out there uploading something, you know. Well, not, not a nut, but, but, but if there's plenty of nuts out there doing just that. <laughs> it's YouTube, you know, anybody can do this. And I guess I nearly talked myself out of it one time. But suppose I taught myself out of it. Well, I'd never be reading this letter, you know. I wouldn't be reading it. John 15 and verse 8. Take a look at that. John 15 and verse 8. Here is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. So part of being a disciple is bearing fruit. It's something that we all have to think about. 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 19. You know, I said I had a lot of scripture. Uh, still, still got pages in front of me here. 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are you not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and our joy. Let me ask you a question. Do you expect to see people in the first resurrection who are there because of some, it may just be little, but some little effort that you put forth? Well, I do. I really do. 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 22. 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 22. Paul says, and this is part of the tactic that he used to reach people. 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 22. He said, to the weak I became as weak, that I may gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. How could Paul say that? You know, it's almost like, that's an arrogant statement. Well, we know that Paul knew he, he, he wasn't the one actually doing the saving. He knew what Paul believed is what he did made a difference in the people that God would call. So, let's take a... In conclusion here, Pentecost, let's take a look at Pentecost in the New Testament here, Acts 2 and verse 17. Okay, okay, we're talking about, right, Spirit of God, baptism, the power of God's Holy Spirit. Here's a scripture that tells us, Acts 2 and verse 17, notice this, and it shall come to pass in the last days, what's the time frame? Last days, last days. Says God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens will I pour out my spirit in those days of my spirit, will I pour out in those days of my spirit that they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heavens above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and notable day of the, of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now I know that last scripture has often been used to, to say, you know, it's been applied down through generation. Well, whoever just calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But you've got to understand the time frame of what we're talking about here. You know, when your world falls apart beneath your feet and, and there's wonders and, in heaven and signs and, and the moon turns into blood, that has a way of changing men's hearts, you know. <laughs> and I think at that time, 
because of the condition that's going on, people are going to cry out, and they're going to get. But I like this, this scripture, because it, this is something to, even though the end time is not something that we would look at and cherish necessarily, but you look at what's going to happen, it says, I'm going to pour out. In the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh. That is something that we'll have to see how it turns out. Now, what I want to be talking about tomorrow is that there are avenues that the Spirit of God is more likely to work through. Channels that if we can connect up with, that the Spirit of God is more likely to work through. You know, we need to follow the leadership of the Spirit of God in our personal lives. I think the problem for many people is this. We think we can find the leadership of the Spirit written down in the Bible. Now, I admit there are basics to go by in the Bible. But, you know, I don't find in my Bible, you know, I never found, you know, David, I think you should give a message and upload some, you know, videos on YouTube. I didn't see that in the Bible. You know, we, often we look, it's like we've got to be so sure. I've got to see it in the Bible before I'll, I will act on it. The leadership of the Spirit works through each individual because we're all different. What He wants you to do. What He expects you to do. And it comes, knowing how to follow it, obviously, comes from a personal relationship with God. And it takes taking chances sometimes. You know, one of the dilemmas that I see is that people in the world, sometimes people in the world, who are not part of the first fruits, that some of those people God's Spirit can work mightily through. And they're not part of the first fruits. You see people, you know, you see humanitarian efforts, you see sometimes different ministries that you think, well, I know God's Spirit is, is at least working through that. And then the conundrum is, then there are people that God has called who are the first fruits that God's Spirit cannot work mightily through, it seems. You just don't see much going on. And yet, they're the first fruit, God's called them, and yet there's an emptiness. How can that be? How can that be? Well, what I'm going to be talking about tomorrow is that there are avenues, that we present God with those avenues. There is something that we can do to make ourselves more usable. Let me get that out. More usable through the Spirit of God. So that's what I'll be talking about tomorrow.